if you haven't been with us, um, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a message where Jesus is talking about what kingdom living, living looks like. So we want to live in the kingdom of God because what Jesus talks about all the way through Matthew's gospel, you'll hear Jesus talking about the kingdom of God is like, and then he'll tell you what it's like. And so it's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. He also says in the Lord's Prayer that we're asking for uh, the kingdom of God up there to come down here so God's will can be done here. So your will be done in our lives. So bring your kingdom from up there down to here. Now, as you walk through the Bible, and if you were to read the Bible from one end of the uh, Bible to the other end, from Genesis to Revelation, there are a number of major themes that go through it. One of those really big themes that's going to go through the, the book of uh, the, the entire Bible is the theme on relationships. And um, Jesus wants us to understand what the relationship is that he has with, with the Father. He wants us to have a relationship with the Father. And that's why when someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment that you were supposed to obey, he boiled all of the commandments down into two things. He said, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And so in this relationship that we have with God, this relationship right here is, first of all, um, we go this way heavenward. Our relationship, first and foremost, has to be with the Father. So it, it goes heavenward. Because that's what the whole Bible's talking about, is, is back in the garden with Adam and Eve, God brought this whole thing together where he created man and woman, and in the garden, he was having a great relationship with them. They were talking all the time. The Bible tells us that in the cool of the morning, Jesus would meet with Adam and Eve, and they would discuss all kinds of things. And then in the evening, after they've done their work, Jesus or God would come back and have a conversation with them in the evening. And so they created this relationship that was this way. But then God, Jesus, when he was asked about what's the greatest commandment, he said the, the second greatest commandment is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so then he's creating this kind of movement in relationships as well. And so it's both this way and this way. If we're going to fulfill all of the commandments and the laws that Jesus has given to us, it then re relates on this. How's my relationship with God this way? How's my relationship with other people this way? Huge and important things that we're supposed to do. And so when you think about that, the relationships with God are of utmost importance. Now the problem is, is that in the process of Adam and Eve uh, being in connection with God in the garden. We don't know how long they were walking in the garden with God. We don't know how long they talked with God. We don't know how long that was because the Bible doesn't give us an indication on the time frame. But what we do know is God said to them, there is only one thing you cannot do. You can do whatever you want to in this garden. You can eat whatever you want to, but you will not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. Don't look at it. Stay away from it. And they're going like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're cool with that. We're not going to do that. And so we don't know how much time passed before one day Eve was walking along and this snake who had feet at that time came up to her and said, hey, hey, baby, 
What you doing? And she's going like, who, me? And he says, yeah. See that tree over there? You know why God doesn't want you to eat that? Because you'll be like him if you do. I shouldn't eat it. No. You want to be like God? You should be like God. So what does she do? She takes a bite of it, and she eats it, and then she says, hey, Adam, come here. And he's like, yeah, what's going on, honey? I messed up. Here, eat this. And he's like, duh, okay. And so he ate it. And so what happened is, is there's this, this huge thing of, of what took place called, I got to make sure I spell this right, disobedience. Let me, give, let me give you the short version on that. It's called sin. And when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in this relationship, what it did is it fractured the relationship with God because they disobeyed everything God said not to do. He gave them one thing you're not supposed to do, and they said, we're going to do it anyway. And so they totally disobeyed God. And so now there's this, this thing here, and it kind of goes like this. And it's, it's this huge chasm. On this side, we have man. And on this side, we have God. And now we have this chasm between us, and we are no longer in this relationship with God that he wants us to be in. And so the problem with that is now we have no more of this where we come to God, we don't walk with God, we don't listen to God. We're doing our own thing because we live in disobedience and sin. It's just kind of part of the DNA that's now a part of our life. We live in this way. And the big problem with that is, is that now what are we going to do? God gave a whole bunch of, of, of um, temporary fixes in creating a vibrant relationship with him, but they didn't last. It was the spilling of blood. You had to do it all the time. You had to slaughter a little innocent lamb, and you had to spill the blood. You had to do this thing to cover up your sin and cover up your sin and cover up your sin. And then one day God says, I'm going to deal with this permanently, and so he sent his son Jesus down. And so what Jesus did is when Jesus came, he made this, this whole thing here of disobedience a non-factor anymore. Because now Jesus bridges that gap between us and God. He has now restored the relationship between us and God. And so it's now Jesus who overcomes the whole thing of our disobedience. Does that mean we live a perfect life? Absolutely not. We still mess up. We still sin. We still do things. We still disobey God. But the good news is, is that Jesus' blood, it doesn't just do what the old blood did and just cover our sins. It radically removes our sin, never to be brought up and held against us ever, ever again. In this whole process right here of restoring relationship to us, one of the byproducts, one of the things that has happened now that we are the beneficiaries of is Jesus has restored the relationship to where now we get to have this intimacy with the Father again. We get to have this closeness with the Father again. And what we call that when we have that intimacy and that closeness, we call it prayer. All right, go to the back of the class, sit back there. You were doing so well. Only if you wouldn't have said anything. We would have thought you were really smart. 
Jesus talks about prayer. And if you remember, when, when we started in the Sermon on the Mount, we came to that place where he teaches on the Lord's Prayer. He's giving us a model for prayer. He, he talks all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't specifically come out and say, this is prayer, this is prayer, this is prayer. He more or less says this is what it looks like to be in relationship with the Father. This is what it looks like to be connected with the Father. And in order to have that connectedness, in order to have that relationship with the Father, you have to step in and pray. Now, according to a recent poll that was taken by one group of people, um, it says that more people will pray this week than, than people who are going to exercise, people who are going to drive a car, people who are even going to go to work. Nine out of ten people say that they pray regularly. Three out of four people claim to pray every single day. And if you were to Google pray or prayer, those two words, in one second you would have 100 million ways on how to pray. Unless you're at my house and it would take like ten minutes to get the internet to run to do something like that. Now, if you ask the average person about prayer, they would say that prayer is really important. They would say that prayer is this huge thing. But the problem with, with the whole prayer thing is that, that we have this going on. We don't understand it. Even, so, even though Jesus says this is highly important for your relationship with the Father... This is highly important for you to be connected with God. This is really a big deal. When it comes to prayer, we all think that prayer is really vital for my relationship with God. We really think that prayer is awesome. And we really want to spend time in prayer. The problem is, is that we just kind of like lose it with prayer. Matter of fact, if, if you were um, a chronic warrior, this might be what your prayer sounds like. Dear God, help me to relax about um, insignificant details beginning around tomorrow at 7.41 a.m. and 23 seconds past the minute Eastern Standard Time. Dear God, help me to consider people's feelings, even if most of them are hypersensitive. Dear God, help me to take responsibility for the consequences of my actions, even though they're usually not my fault. Dear God, help me not to run everything, but if you need some help, please feel free to ask me. Dear God, help me to be more laid back and help me to do it exactly the right way. Dear God, give me patience, and I mean like right now. And dear God, help me not to be a perfectionist. Did I spell that right? Dear God, help me to finish everything I start. Dear God, help me to keep my mind on one thing at a time. Oh, hey, hi, how are you doing? Uh, one thing at a time, Lord, not to get distracted. Dear God, help me not only what I uh, help me to do not only what I can trust you with, but with the rest. And would you mind putting that in writing? Dear God, help me be open to other people's ideas, even though they may be misguided and ridiculous. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Because you know, if you put Jesus' name on the end of it, He has to do it, because that's the way it works. Well, the truth is, is that we all have this access uh, to God at any time because of what Jesus did for us right here. We have total access to the throne room of God. 
in a heartbeat. You open your mouth. Your mind is already starting to go to the place of, of God. And the, the, the most amazing thing, I think, about it is nobody in this room has an upper hand in praying to God. Your prayers are probably more effective than my prayers. Or we're equal in that. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that my prayer gets through the ceiling better than yours does. The Bible never teaches that. Matter of fact, it kind of says the, the opposite of that in Ephesians. It says, for through him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So when you come to faith in Christ, you have what, what the Bible describes as the Holy Spirit being deposited in your life to identify you as a child of God. So the spirit you have is the spirit I have. The spirit that you have is the spirit that is sitting next door to your neighbor right now. If they are a child of God, God deposits his Holy Spirit in us. And so when you're praying and I'm praying and you're praying, we're all gathered together and the spirit is connecting us. And as we pray, he's working in us and through us, through the Holy Spirit to take our prayers to the throne room of God. That's the greatest part about the whole thing is that, that our prayers are going up into heaven and they go this way to the throne room. That's the... I told you before I flunked art, so... It's more like Picasso than anything. But the deal is, is that the Holy Spirit is the one that takes our stuff to the throne room of God. We don't necessarily um, have anything to do with it. It's what the Spirit of God does in us and through us. And so it's really important for us to understand what God is doing as we come together in prayer. Prayer is is an amazing thing that we get to do. But it's, it's one of the most frustrating parts about walking with God. I mean, if you, if you just take a look, you're connected with God, you're praying to God. I mean, the things that are going on in our world, if you think about what's happening in North Korea and you spend an enormous amount of time praying about the nuclear missile crisis in North Korea, if you think about what's going in Iran and the missile crisis that's going on there, if you think about all the political stuff that has divided our country and you spend hours praying about it, and you get up in the morning and you read the headlines on the newspaper or you watch some news program, you're going to walk away and you're going, why did I spend all that time in prayer about this stuff when it seems like God hasn't done anything about it? It's frustrating. A British, an old famous British preacher named David Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, of all the activities in which the Christ follower engages and which are a part of the life in Christ, there is surely none which causes so much perplexity and arises so many problems as the activity we call prayer. How many times have you gone to the Lord and prayed for something that you thought was absolutely crucial for your life? I mean, there have been times when I've been in a prayer meeting when you can feel the heaviness of the Holy Spirit 
poured out upon the people who were praying. It's like you could almost reach out and touch the Spirit of God, and you're praying, and you know your heart's in the right place, and you know the fervency with which you are praying. You know all the things that you're asking of God are on God's list to answer, and you pray with these people, and you walk away, and you say, that's the most extraordinary time I've ever had with God, and you look with anticipation to the answers to the prayers that you've prayed. And over the next few weeks, you're like, what happened to that moment of prayer that we had? Why didn't God do something? Why didn't God do what we asked? He was there. He heard us. He interacted with us. The manifest presence of the Holy Spirit was right there with us. And yet, it seems like something has gone awry. We have all faced times when we're overflowing with the abundant faith and confidence, not only as we step into this prayer time, but we recognize that at this moment, maybe no other time, my faith is more than sufficient for God to answer this prayer. And we're at the very throne room of God. But it seems like not a whole lot has happened. There are many places in the Bible that you hear about prayer. Matter of fact, one of them that Jesus gave to his disciples was just like hours before he went to the cross. And what he said to the disciples, he said in John chapter 15, verse 7, he said, if you remain in me, get that little word at the beginning, if, put that right there, keep that in your mind. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you will and it will be done. The problem is, is that we ignored that little word. We don't, we don't let this penetrate our hearts. We don't, we don't go back and look and go, what's the if part? What does it mean by that? If God's word remains in me and I remain in God's word, then he's going to answer my prayer. It is conditional because as you are in God's word, guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you areas in your life that he wants to work on, and he's going to say, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to change. This is where my spirit needs to transform your life. And if you're listening to what God is saying, and if you're acting upon the things that God is bringing to you, you will see that if word, and you're going to go, I need to pay attention here. I need to start taking the things that God's calling me to do and start enacting them into my life because that then produces fruit. God's word, God made a promise. When his word goes out, it never comes back void or empty. It always produces a harvest of right living. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You want your prayers answered? Then stay in the word and learn what the spirit has to say to you. You're not going to get what you need from the word of God by just listening to some podcast. You actually need to read the word of God. Matter of fact, James 4, 7, 8 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, you see, a lot of times when we look at this verse, the first thing we, we think about and the thing we talk about a lot is that this is a great verse to help us when we're being tempted in dealing with temptation of the devil because he's coming along, and he wants to mess you up. But this is also an invitation from God 
for us to step into intimacy in relationship with him. He says, submit yourself to God. When you submit yourself to God, you're saying, I am going to give myself to your rule and to your authority over my life. And then you're supposed to resist the devil. In other words, you go like, "Mm mm-mm, not going to have any of it. Because if you leave the crack open just this much on the door, the enemy is going to worm his way in. Because you remember what his his uh, what the devil's great plan for your life is? It's to come to rob, kill, and destroy everything good that God's doing in your life. That's what he wants to do. And so, by resisting the devil, you're doing that, and he'll flee from you. When you submit to God, he'll flee from you. But do you also have to, in order to draw near to God, you have to, and where he's going to draw near to you, you have to do what? You have to cleanse your hands, you have to purify your hearts, and you have to keep your mind focused on God and not be double-minded about everything. And when you do that, and you start to step into this prayer life, all of a sudden God's ears are very attentive to what's going on in your life. The, the crazy thing is, is that when Jesus was with the disciples, they were watching him all the time. I mean, there wasn't anything that he did. Not a single minute of Jesus' life was wasted on his disciples. They didn't go like, oh, didn't get that. Did you, get, did you take notes on that, Pete? Because I, 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 didn't, I didn't pick it up. Nope. Everything that Jesus did, they were right there. They were attentive. They were taking it in. And they were, they were looking at their life and going like, I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to do that. And when it came to prayer, they're like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. They had never heard anybody ever pray like Jesus prayed. I mean, they sat when he was praying to the Father. They would sneak up onto him when he went to his lonely place to pray. Whenever he was having a conversation with his Father in heaven, the disciples were there listening. And after that had happened, for a number of times, they came to Jesus and they said, you know what, we want you to teach us to pray. That's what it says in Luke chapter 11. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, Jesus did a lot of things. And that's the thing you're going to ask Jesus to teach you? Is how to pray? Okay, if it were me, I would have gone like, you know, I saw you spit in that guy's eyes, and he could see afterwards. Can you teach me how to do that? You know that guy that was crippled, and, and you said, pick up your mat and walk, and he did, and he did? Can you teach me how to do that? Can, you touched these ten lepers, and their lepros- leprosy completely disappeared. Can you teach me how to do that? Because wouldn't it be great to be able to have people come forward and you just say, we're going to pray for you for your healing. And, and they come in and, and, and they get healed and they walk out and you're like, praise God. And that's what I would ask for. That'd be the top of the list. Maybe the second thing is Jesus is the greatest preacher, teacher that ever walked on the planet. Hey, Jesus, you think you can teach me how to preach? I, I, I'm not that good. I could use a little bit of help. No, Amen. I might have asked Jesus, I don't know what this would be useful for, but you did that thing with Peter where you walked on the water. 
I, I don't know how useful it would be, but it would certainly be fun. Can you teach me how to walk on water? How about this one? Go to a wedding and bring in big buckets of water and dip it out, and what is it? It's wine. It's not just box wine. No. This is the best wine you've ever tasted in your entire life, and you're going like, wow! I'm just telling you, I'd go to a lot of weddings where I wouldn't be performing the ceremony. That's, that's, but no, the, the disciples, what do they do? They come to Jesus and they say, look, we want you to teach us how to pray. And I think the reason is, is that they wanted to learn from him because this is the kind of person Jesus was. He was the most radically loving person who ever lived. He ate with sinners. He welcomed them. He did more than anything else to live this kind of a life and to be this kind of a person. And the reason he was able to be that kind of person is he spent an awful lot of time in prayer and talking to his father. In the middle of this teaching, he's leading people on how to relate well, how to love well, how to show up and be your best self. Jesus tells them to pray and go to the father and pray. The, the, the main purpose of prayer is not to make it life easier. It's not to get God to do what you want him to do, but to simply know him. That's what prayer's about. But what do we do? We bring our list of things that we want God to answer for us, and we write them out on the list, and then we go, God, you got a minute? Because here it goes. Get your pen ready, because it's going to go fast. I only have like 34 seconds, so here we go. And then we rattle off a list of things that we want God to do for us. And it's like, oh, well, okay. Jesus compares our relationship with God to that of a child-parent relationship. And many of you understand what this relationship is like because either you are a parent or if you aren't a parent, you had parents. And so let me read the passage that we're going to be in today from the Sermon on the Mount because some of you are going like, that was just the introduction? Oh, yeah. Settle in. Relax a little bit. If you need more coffee, just kind of hold up your hand. Cody Booth will get it for you. He's a good servant. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give, you good, give, good, give good things to those who ask him? You see, here's what Jesus is saying in, in, in relationship to us with our relationship with our, our families, with our parents, with our kids, with us. Listen, don't you even think for a minute that you've got this whole righteous thing under your belt and you've got it knocked out of the park because you are a sinful human being and you just don't get it right all the time. Now, thank God that he is producing in us holiness as we're walking along with him. It's called sanctification. He keeps making us look more like Christ the more we walk with him, but we still mess up. And even when we mess up, we know how to give our children good things. I mean, there are some parents out there that should never be allowed to have children. I'm just saying they should, that their kids should be taken away from them 
never to have children ever again because they just don't know how to take care of them. They never... They, it, okay, okay, I'm stop right there. But for us, Jesus says, even though you're wicked, even though you're evil, even though you're sinful, which we are, but we've been redeemed by Jesus, so God sees us now as righteous and holy, but experientially we still make messes. And we know how to give good things to our kids when they ask. Hey, I'm hungry. Can I have a sandwich? No. Here's a rock. Chew on that for a while. We don't do that. We love our kids, and we're going, yeah, here's a sandwich. Here's some milk. Do you want anything else? Do you want ice cream? Forget it. You're lactose intolerant. So God says, I, I am a better father, I'm a better mother than what you've ever had. I know better for you than what you have need for yourself. I'm going to give you the good things. Matter of fact, in Luke 11, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, here's what he says at the end of that. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So it's the greatest gift that, that the Father's going to give to you? The Holy Spirit. It's awesome. Because when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, here's what's going to happen. He's going to convict you of sin, and you're going to repent, and you're going to be in right relationship with, the, whole, with the, the Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit, when you read the Word of God, He's going to illuminate your mind so that, it, uh, so that you have an understanding of what God is saying to you. When, the whole, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life and you see somebody in need, the Holy Spirit nudges you and you step forward and you say, what can I do to help you? And you help somebody who is in need. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the, and the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. And it's a great gift that God has given to each one of us. So let's go back to the Matthew 7 passage and we're just going to look at the first two verses. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And knock, and it will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. And so the thing that we're looking at right now is what does it mean to ask? In the, the, the original language, the sentence structure really says this. It says to keep on asking. In other words, it's not a one-shot pony. It doesn't mean you just bring your request once to God. He means you're supposed to be askers. I don't know if that's a word. I may make that word up. <laughs> I like it, though. Because when we become askers of God, and we come asking with the right thing in our hearts, then we're going to receive from God what he has for us. The, here's what it is. You know, all right, so you ask, man, my arrows are looking horrible. I just get a little carried, Ari. Oh, R-E. Okay, that says receive. Take my word for it. I used to try that with my teachers, scribble it so it didn't look right. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, they couldn't tell what I wrote. 
And every time they'd go, you got your E in the wrong place with your I. And I go, I can't even read that. How do you know I did that? But what Jesus says, he says, if you ask, you will receive. You need to keep on asking so you keep on what? Receiving. The problem is we get lazy in it. We get tired of it. We give up way too early. There's a, there's a parable Jesus talks about the, the widow who goes to her neighbor and, and has friends that have come over, and she's knocking on the door, and she says, I need bread to feed my neighbor. And she's knocking, and she's knocking, and knocking on the door for the neighbor, and she's just persistent, and she won't quit, and she won't give up. And so there's this persistence about keep on asking, and you will receive. So what is it that we're going to ask for and we're going to receive. Well, the first thing James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given to him. So the first thing you receive when you ask according to the way God wants is wisdom. I'll abbreviate because I don't have a lot of time. So that comes from James 1.5. And, and, and God cares about who we are, and he wants us to have the things that he, he has in store for us. The problem is, how often do we ask for wisdom? We're often asking for a new car. We're often asking for other things. We're often asking for, all right, this is a little pet peeve of mine. How many of you believe that God is sovereign over your life? Put your hand up. God's going to look after you. He's going to take care of you, Okay. How many of you believe that, as the Bible says, your days are numbered? In other words, God's already predetermined when you're, when you're going to graduate from this earth and go to the next one. How many people believe that verse? Okay, so let me ask you this question. Why do you pray and ask God to protect you as you drive? Don't you think he's already got that one under control, taken care of? I think he does. A little pet peeve of mine. Let's pray for for God to protect us as we travel. I, I prayed that one time about 50 years ago, and he's done it ever since. Now, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, in, in the grand scheme of things, do you want God to protect you while he drives, which he's already determined to do anyway? Or would you rather have God give you wisdom for the way you work at life, wisdom in dealing with your teenage kids, wisdom in, in working with people who don't know Jesus, Wisdom in knowing how to lovingly bring correction to your friends or to your spouse. Wouldn't you rather have wisdom than to get in your car and know that there's this bubble around you as you drive down the highway that's already there? In Ephesians, he, as um, Paul wrote to that, that church, he said, I have not stopped thanking God for you. Listen to what he prays for them. I pray for you constantly, asking God the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light that, so that you can understand the confident hope he has given and he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Do you notice that Paul does not say to the Ephesians church, I'm praying for your safety so that you're not going to be persecuted? He didn't pray that. He says what you need to know, what you need to have, is you need to have not just wisdom, but spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you also need, need to have 
your heart's flooded with hope. Those are the things that we should be asking for on a continual basis. Those are the things that God wants us to have. Now, the problem is, is that we don't have these things, and, and James points this out to us in chapter 4. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask to fulfill your passions. Some of us need to start changing our prayer list. We need to start thinking about what it is that God's calling us to pray for. You know, it's great to pray for your kids as they go to college, that they'd be diligent, that they would study hard, that they would understand the subject matter, all those different things that are going on. It's great for you to pray for your kids at high school, that they would be good friends, that they would be uh, representing Jesus well. But I think as you look at what Paul prays here for these spiritual children of his, he's, con he's constantly asking God to give them spiritual wisdom and insight so that they grow in the knowledge of who God is. I want my kids to love God, and this is what God has answered in my prayer. I have prayed for each one of my kids that at the age that they're at, when I was their age, so my, my, my son Justin, who turned 31 yesterday, my prayer has been for him that he would be a better man of God at 31 than I ever was. That he would know God at a deeper level. He would understand God in a more intimate way than I ever did. That has been my prayer for not just Justin, but for Leela and Cody and Justin and Heidi and Tyson and Abby and Carissa and Brenda. Her fiancé, Brenda. His real name's Brennan, but I call him Brenda because he hasn't done anything manly yet. And he knows it too. I told him that. You want your name changed? Do something manly. Do you know what's manly? Manly is being the head of your household and leading your spouse so that she knows Jesus in a deeper way. And that's what I told him. His name's going to change soon. I have faith in the boy. But this, this is the problem. We don't ask for things. We're wondering why we don't get this stuff. Why, Pastor Ken, how'd you get your kids to grow up like they did? It wasn't me, it was Jesus. Because Lorinda and I spent an enormous amount of time in prayer for our kids. Praying, praying not for their, their success in the world. We prayed for their spiritual understanding of who Jesus is. Because the Bible tells us, what does it profit a man if he, loses the, if he gains the world but loses his soul? We don't care about them gaining the world. You don't get to take anything with you. You come naked into this world, and naked you go out too. In Colossians 1, Paul says this. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. See, now, he said that to the, to the Ephesians church. Now he says this to the Colossians church. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what God, that's what Jesus is, or, or Paul is praying for the churches. It's the prayer. There are so many prayers that we can be praying for our family, for our church, for our friends, for our neighbors, for people who are far from God. But here's the, here's the problem. 
Where there is no abiding, remember I talked about John chapter 15 where Jesus says, if you remain in the word, that's the other word for abiding, remain. So if you're not abiding in the word and you're not constantly giving yourself over to be under the, the authority of Christ to where you live in obedience, not in disobedience like Adam and Eve, but you live in obedience, then there's going to be this graciousness and blessing. But get this, listen to this. Where there is rebellion, God is not apt to say yes to your prayer a lot. Unless that prayer is, Father, forgive me. He always says yes to that prayer. Always. In 1 John um, 3, John wrote this. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. It comes right back to the whole thing that Jesus said to the people who were asking, what's the greatest commandment? You want to know how to fulfill that? You want to know how to have your prayers answered? You answer, you have your prayers answered. The asking and the askers receive because they're in communion this way with God. And in this way, they have all of their accounts settled. You should not have outstanding accounts with other people. If you are holding a grudge against somebody else, if there is a sense in your heart that you have this, this whole thing of you, you've been wronged and you, you, you can't forgive anybody, you're angry, you're resentful, you're jealous, or maybe pride's taken over and you're not going to be the first one to say, I'm sorry. How do you expect God to answer a prayer now? He's going like, you need to deal with this stuff in your life before we go over here and we start to pray for that thing. This needs to be dealt with first. And the problem is, is that we don't want to do that. We don't want to go there. So let's move on to, we, we did the ask and it will be given. Now we, we come to seek, right? What are we supposed to seek? And I'm just going to write it real quick because we're already going to be there. And it's what we're supposed to do, right? Keep on seeking. Because when you seek and you keep on seeking, you're going to what? You're going to find. That's what, that's what Jesus says. When you're seeking, you're going to find. So seek and you will find. But what is it you're supposed to be seeking that you're going to find? We're not perfect. We're just pursuing what the Bible says we're supposed to do. And in that place, God hears us. So I'm not saying you have to be perfect for God to hear your prayers. What I am saying is that you need to be seeking God, the God of grace, who actually told us in Scripture to boldly approach His throne of grace with confidence. But the only way to do that is when we know who the God who sits on the throne is. And so in Matthew 6, Jesus said this. This is prior to His teaching on this. He said, but first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So what is it you're supposed to be seeking that you're going to find? You're supposed to seek God's kingdom and His righteousness. That's what we're supposed to be seeking after. That's what God's calling us to do. It's him that we're supposed to seek after. And when we seek him, guess what we're going to do? We're going to find him. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 27. God said, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. 
When you seek God, guess what you're going to find? God. <laughs> I know I have to do the math for everybody here, but look. Somebody did the math for me in school, so it's my turn to help you out. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing that I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, that's where God hung out before, was in the temple. Now he doesn't hang out in the temple. Where does he hang out? Right here. You have God right here. You need to seek his face. You need to seek who God is. You need to find out what he has for you. In Psalm 105, it says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. In other words, go through your whole day, keep walking with God, seeking God, and asking God to be a, a part of every aspect of your day as you go along. Because when he's not there, you're going to screw it up. You're going to make a mess of it. And that's why we want to have God there. Psalm 119.3 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who do not do wrong, but walk in his ways. That's what happens when we seek God. We're no longer tempted to do the wrong thing. I want to love God more. I want to spend more time with God. I want to have a deeper relationship with God. I want to have more intimacy with God. And so the reason I do it is so that I will know who his, know his whole, who God is with my whole heart so that I don't do wrong, so that I walk in his ways in holiness. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Do you love God? How are you seeking him? If you say you love God, you'll be seeking him. You'd be asking him what it has for your life. He, you'd be asking him what he wants you to do with what's going on. Let's move on. Because now we've asked and, and it will, will receive. You seek and you find. And then you knock. For everyone who knocks, it will be open. Okay, so I'm running out of... All right, and we're talking about... I knew somebody was going to... Knockers. Let's just get it out there right now. <laughs> I knew it. I was just hoping that to some who are, are pure, all things are pure. My wife's not here. Thank goodness I won't get in trouble now. So the, the whole point behind this is that when we come to the door and we're knocking on the door and we're asking God for something. We keep coming and we're saying, God, this is what I want from you. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. I'm, there's there's a persistence, uh, uh, a perseverance, as it were, to coming and knocking. Now, I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me. This happened probably like six or seven years ago. I can't remember exactly the, when it started. But 31 years ago, I blew out my right knee, and I had to have it operated on with social, so, social medicine up in Canada. So what that meant was, even though I blew out my knee, they said, well, it's not an emergency, and you're going to have to learn to live with that until we can get you a spot to have your operation. So I blew it out on March 30th, and on June 30th, I finally got to go in for op my operation on my knee. 
Back in those days when they did your ACL, they ripped your whole knee open. So I have a scar from above my kneecap, you know, to below my kneecap, and then I have the same thing on the other side. And I was bruised from here down to my ankle from the operation. The doctor actually told me that he was standing on top of the table, drilling a hole through my knee so that he could attach stuff back together. I was glad I wasn't really there. I tell you that because probably for about a three-year period, my right knee that had had an operation on it was, was bothering me so bad that Lorinda and I were ready to remodel our new home and change the master bedroom from up in, upstairs and bring it downstairs and reconfigure everything so I didn't have to walk the stairs. We were going to have to hire some little kid to come and mow the lawn, to come and shovel the sidewalk, because I had a hard time walking. It took me, I would take one step at a time going up the stairs, I would take one step at a time coming back down the stairs, because my knee hurt so bad. I, I didn't go fishing, I didn't do any activities I liked, I was really confined to just doing stuff sitting in the house, and I was becoming a couch potato, and I swear I put on probably 15 ugly pounds during that time because I was not active. And my knee was throbbing all the time. I was taking Advil like it was candy, trying to deal with the pain. And one day as I was sitting in my office, we're the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and we believe that Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our sanctifier, Jesus is our healer, and that Jesus is our coming king. And God poked me really hard on the healing part. And he said to me, do you believe this? Do you believe? Jesus is like, do you believe that I heal? And I'm going like, yeah, I believe that. I preach that all day. I mean, that'll preach all day long, healing. Then why aren't you asking for healing? And I'm like, oh. You know, you only do what you, you only believe what you do. So I, I was convicted by the spirit that I hadn't sought Jesus out for healing in my knee. And so I had a friend coming from Twin Falls. He was going to be speaking at the church, uh, pastor from Twin. And, and when he came over, I said, let's gather the elders together. I really feel convicted that God wants me to be anointed with oil by the elders and prayed for healing on my knee. And he says, okay, we'll do that. And so we gathered after church, the elders and myself and Jim. They anointed me with, with oil and they prayed heaven on me like I had never had before. And I got up and I went, well, nothing's changed. Nothing happened. My knee was still hurt just as bad. Matter of fact, I think it got a little bit worse. I think it got puffy and swollen. And so that was it like, that was like in uh, May of that year. And at the, no, that was, that was at the end of March. At the end of May, we had our district conference up in Billings. And so when I got to Billings, I went to my pastor friends and I said, you need to anoint me with oil and pray for healing on my knee. And they said, okay, we're going to do that. Because, right, it, it, you know, summer was coming on and I had stuff to do. And so they prayed for me. And I was going like, yeah, no, nothing happened. In September, we had Ignite Conference up in Billings with all the pastors and wives. And so I gathered, I figured those guys couldn't get it done. They were the wrong guys to ask. So I got four other guys, 
And I said, maybe you guys can get healing to my knee. Yeah, let's get the oil. Let's pray for you. So they anointed me with oil again, and they prayed for me, and nothing happened. In December, I had a couple of brothers from, and I mean brothers in, in Christ, from this community came into my office, and they're looking at me and go, how can we pray for you? I said, my knee's killing me. I need, I need. So they prayed for me for healing. Nothing happened. February, we had men's advance up in Billings. And the preacher that weekend, he was speaking on all kinds of things, and he was talking about healing. And mostly he was talking about mental and physical or mental and emotional healing, particularly when it came to our marriages, because he's talking to a group of men about marriage and being godly men. But then he just kind of paused and he said, and maybe somebody in here needs physical healing, just ask the guys around you to pray for you. And I went like, all right, God, let's go. I'm going to do this. I, I, I literally said to God, I'm going to keep coming back to you on this issue until you do something. I'm not going to go away. I'm going to keep knocking on this door until you do something, God. I'm not going away because you're the only one that can fix this. I don't want my, my oldest son, who's a physical therapist, you know what he told me is going to have to happen to my knee? Total knee replacement. Well, just take a drill and drill me in the head instead. That's about as much fun as that's going to be. So at that conference, a couple of guys from the church and a bunch of guys I'd never even met before, they gathered around me. We didn't even have oil. Maybe somebody spit on me, I can't remember. <laughs> but they, they laid their hands on me and they prayed for me again. And you know what happened this time? Nothing. I got up, I went home, and my knee was killing me. I was popping Advil, and I'm going like, oh, how long, oh Lord, how long do I suffer with this thing? Because I don't want to have surgery. I don't want that. And that was at the end of February. At the middle of March, I was walking down the stairs, and I'm going like, wow, it feels a little bit better. And I remember walking into the kitchen, I looked at Lorinda, and I go, my knee's feeling a little bit better today. She's going, oh, that's good, yeah, nice. Go to work. <laughs> yeah, by the middle of April, I was running up the stairs and down the stairs. I was, I was putting fertilizer on my, I must have put like 10 gallons of fertilizer on square foot because I could go out and do something. God completely healed my knee. I have not had a single problem with that knee since. I have not had an issue with it at all. I'm just telling you right now, I'm standing here and I'm giving all the glory to God. I'm just giving him all the praise because what God says is he says, you need to ask, you need to be an asker, you need to be a seeker, you need to be someone who's a knocker, you need to be coming to me and you need to keep asking, you need to keep seeking my faith and you need to keep knocking on that door. You need to keep doing something until God does something. You need to keep after it and say, God, I'm not leaving until I get something from you. And believe me, persistence, that's the thing that I learned what God told me is don't give up. We give up on way too many things. We are weak-minded people when it comes to praying for our, our, our relatives who don't know Jesus. We pray for them occasionally. We, we, don't, we don't make it a matter of urgency. By the way, you don't know what their day, when their days are numbered. You don't know when Jesus is going to take them. 
and take them off this planet. So we have got to be diligent about praying for those people. We've got to be asking God for the things that are a, a, a part of the Father's heart because guess what? God, the Bible tells us that God's not willing that anyone should perish. And Jesus gave us the command to go and make disciples. And yet we give up way too easily. It's too hard. My mind wanders. Well, welcome to my life. My mind's been wandering the whole time I've been preaching to you. It's a, ma it's a miracle that I ever get through one of these messages. I've already thought about 1,500 different things I'm going to do when I get home. But here's what Paul says. And this is, we finish with this. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The primary purpose of prayer is that. For you to know intimately who God is, what he desires for you, to understand his, his will for your will. That's what we have. Amen? Our Father, we thank you this morning because there are so many things that we could press in and pray about, things that we, would, we want done right now, things that we are hoping you will do, things that we bring, and it's not even on your agenda. So we just simply ask today, God, that you would help us not, not just to bring our agenda to you, but to ask you, what's your agenda? And as we hear what you're saying, that we would keep asking, we'd keep pursuing, that we would keep seeking, that we would keep knocking. Help us to be men and women who are not easily overcome with fatigue. Help us to be men and women who will stay the course, who will spend the time, who will know you intimately, who will know you deeply, who will pray that for their children and for their friends and for this church and for this community, that your name will be great wherever they go. And so we ask for you to do in us as you would do in the heart of every man, woman, and child. Grow us in that relationship with you, we pray in Jesus' great name.